Welcome to the Kicks EAP podcast, your monthly podcast with important leaders in education from Eastern Europe, Middle East and North Africa, Central Asia, and the Asia Pacific. I'm your host, Ryan Allen, assistant professor at Chapman University here in Southern California, and my own background is in international and comparative education. Let's start the show. Today, we have Sarvaros Niozov, Acting Associate Dean, Academic Programs at the Ontario Institute of Studies in Education at the University of Toronto. We go through his career and his background, including when he had to abandon his studies due to a civil war. Then we talk about his research on Tajikistan and the broader region. Let's go to the show. All right. Thank you for joining us today uh, on the podcast. I- I'm going through your CV that you sent over, and it, it's just a fascinating document, and it, and it really brings me up to, to think like, wow, you, you have a lot of experiences across the world. You're originally from Tajikistan, and then and then you and you move on to Tunisia, uh, Pakistan, and then eventually you end up at at Oise there in Toronto in during for your PhD. But and and even in the middle, I see you you talk about you know you had to cut off one of your studies. Um, due to a civil war. I mean, this is a, an incredible experience. I guess if you could, can you maybe uh, talk a little bit about that, uh, you know, your journey from your home country and then maybe uh, before, you know, before you get to into how you got to maybe or what you're doing at uh, uh, Toronto. Ryan, thank you so much for inviting me to this important podcast. Uh, I'm very pleased and uh, as my name is Sarfaroz, and Sarfaroz is a Persian or Tajik word, which actually means to be honored. So I am actually honored to be on this podcast to speak to you about myself and my contribution and my aspirations about education in Tajikistan and Central Asia and actually globally. Thank you. So speaking about my life journey and my education background, I come from a rural mountainous area of Tajikistan. Uh, there is a place in Badakhshan province of Tajikistan called Rushan. And there is a small village there on the altitude of more than 2,000 meters above the sea level in a small rural village where I was born, where I grew up, and where I studied until grade end of grade 10, which was the Soviet time. Uh, I'm 61. I'm going to be 62 soon, and half of my life actually went into Soviet times. So uh, blessed by opportunities that were provided uh, by the Soviet education system. Now I know that uh, there is a lot of critique of Soviet education in multiple ways, particularly in the Western scholarship and those, especially those in the Cold uh, War area or era. But um, uh, despite of all these things, uh, uh, opportunities and structural uh, facilities that were created by the Soviet education system were seized up by people, poor people like my parents, and uh, uh, I grew up through that system. So my father was a teacher, but he was a complete orphan himself, but a great man uh, who actually grew up from uh, that kind of condition into a great, uh, a prominent man in the district. And as far as the family is concerned, he gave, he gave opportunities and stimulus and invested in all his children, 10 of whom got high education. And I was one of those. So uh, as I said, that uh, because of the Soviet education system 
and the structural opportunities that they created. Uh, we grew up, I finished the school with, with distinction, and then I got admission to Arabic department of Tajik State University, which actually was an elite department of the time, because it was one of the very few departments whose students could go actually abroad as translators or then later on become diplomats or so on. So as um, I then did with distinction again that Arabic department, and then I went as a translator into a number of Arab countries in the Middle East, and then hired by the university at that time, Tajik State University, uh, as, a, as an instructor, and also doing my graduate degree in Arabic literary criticism. And I'll speak about that uh, just in a moment. So uh, I was teaching also at the university at the time and doing a graduate degree, and as I said, in Arabic philology. And uh, then what happened in Tajikistan was that was almost like early 90s. A civil war broke up in Tajikistan and lots of disturbances, uh, very unsafe times, uh, very painful memories of that time. And we had to really escape to save our lives. This um, disrupted my, uh, my uh, pursuance of graduate degree, but I had finished my uh, PhD thesis on literary, Arab literary criticism. And therefore, every time I speak Arabic or speak about Arab literature to my Arab students currently in, at the University of Toronto, they get surprised as to how much I know the language and the history and the religion and everything. But nevertheless, so... Um, then what happened as a result of the collapse of Soviet Union is that I ended up working with international organizations and uh, ultimately in 1994 went to Pakistan to, the, to do a master's degree at the Aga Khan University, which had at that time established a new a collaborative a master of education program with the University of, of Toronto and Oxford. So a collaborative program taught largely by professors from these two universities um, allowed me to do uh, my uh, master's degree, which I actually uh, uh, ended in, uh, in, which I ended with distinction too. But there are very interesting things I want to say about this, that this was, uh, as I said, uh, early 90s, 1994, the end of Soviet Union. And here is what happened to me. I switched from former from Soviet socialist um, ideology, epistemology, and even education system now to a, 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 a Western or Westernized capitalist, and in this particular case, an Islamic country uh, with a, with a Western education system, private Western education system. And doing a master's degree was a new thing. At that time, I had no clue what master's degree is. Uh, and uh, when, I, when I got involved, I found it extremely challenging, as challenging as was my candidate degree. And I was puzzled, why is it so, so challenging? Why is it so demanding? And we were doing research. I wrote a thesis, which was actually called Controversy as a Teaching Strategy for Social Studies. And the key impetus for doing this thesis was I was so disturbed by the, by the collapse of Soviet Union and the civil war that ensued in Tajikistan. 
that until that time we were all brothers and sisters living in multicultural international society. And here is, we became involved in in civil war through multiple animosities. And I got shocked by this and I asked myself why this happened. How could such a switch from being brothers to being enemies happens? And how could we find peace? How could help we help people to take each other's perspectives and also uh, listen to each other, work through disagreement and through differences? And that's why I chose that strategy as a teaching for, because I believe that, that, that uh, if the working with controversies, with differences, through critical thinking, through perspective taking would help us. Anyway, so then I was, in, I was actually hired by the Aga Khan University as an instructor at the Institute for Educational Development, which is based in Karachi. Um, after that, after two years, uh, I uh, was involved in multiple things, including uh, capacity development and institutional development in Central Asia, and one of which is University of Central Asia. I was at the start of establishing that university in the committee. So, however, after two years, I got a scholarship from the Aga Khan Foundation and end up, ended up in Toronto at the OEZ, University of Toronto, uh, and did my master's, my PhD in curriculum, teaching and learning with a thesis on uh, life and work of post-Soviet rural mountainous teachers. Yeah, you wanted to ask me a question? I was just going to say, you know, I think one of the, the wonderful things that you're, that you're talking about is, you know, you have these different experiences in, in education and translation and sort of religion and, 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 bringing them, and bringing them together. And plus, I think a lot of students these days, you know, when, when they see this kind of uh, resume, maybe it's something that they don't recognize because it's today, I think a lot of students are, I got to do my undergraduate has to connect to the masters and has to write into the PhD. And, and so there, there must be so much value in these oh, different experiences. Of course, of course. And I will speak about this. Sure. Um, so, uh, yeah, maybe I should speak about that right now and then be, come back to my PhD thesis. But you're absolutely right. And um, this transversing or moving between different disciplines, such as you said, Arabic, philology, literary criticism, religious studies, education, and then moving between different epistemologies, Marxist, non-Marxist, Islamic, uh, and uh, different education systems, Soviet, not Soviet, different uh, ideological positions. It actually all, it was interesting that I was finding myself comfortable moving around them. And, and negotiating my own positions. What happened to me is that when I was involved in these things, initially perhaps a little romantic, but then gradually realizing that none of these epistemologies and discourses and narratives is perfect. They are largely socially constructed by people and therefore always have pluses to them and things that to be improved. So this actually developed in me a very interesting uh, positionality, which I call critical constructive pragmatism, which is basically, it means that uh, because none of these epistemologies and narratives and discourses 
are perfect. I have to be critical, not to be swayed by them and not to be a stooge of them. So develop my own position. Constructive means that each one of them definitely has positive things to them. Each one of them has things one could build on. And then possibility of synthesizing them. Pragmatism means that you don't have to be ideologically hard. You could be pragmatist, but you're critical. And the criticality also brings with it position up to what are my, what are my uh, principles in life? And uh, these principles come from my experiences and from my belief systems. And particularly, as you noticed, I spoke that I come from extremely poor family who has lived through struggles, identity struggles, economic struggles, political struggles of, uh, of acting other, but also being inside myself, being multi-vocal, being polyphonic, as Mikhail Bakhtin would say, being using this already multiple identity aspects of myself, uh, both in positive as well as in a critical way to get through the systems and to get through, this, through these challenges. Many of my colleagues after the collapse of Soviet Union almost gave up. But I actually went further and reached uh, heights that I could not even dream myself. So the negotiation between these different positionalities and different perspectives is critically important for us because we live today in a very, uh, mul- in a very conflicting and multiple pluralistic uh, societies where you need to be really critical, constructive and pragmatist in order to kind of, but as I said, the, with, with certain values and principles such as commitment to social justice, commitment to ecological justice, commitment to anti-racism, decolonization, and all kinds of oppressions, including in myself. When I listen and when I read about certain, let's say, anti-racist or, or, or gender uh, bias or about f- when I read feminism or decolonization, I ask first thing myself, am I like that? Have I been like this? What it, how does it reflect myself? How does these things, bias, racism, oppression, reflect myself in my culture, in back home in my country? And also, of course, in Canada, uh, I will speak about that a little later. But but this kind of a positionality that I developed has helped me to live and move in a very difficult time. Be careful, but also be positive and be helpful to myself and to societies as we go. Uh, right. So you've already kind of talked a little bit about your dissertation, but you know, I, I'd like to hear maybe just how, you know, some of the things involved in that you went, you know, back to Tajikistan into, <clears throat> into the rural spaces, uh, it, you know, won a couple awards after it was done. And then maybe just, you know, some of the, the current issues that the country's facing uh, and that the region's facing. Yeah, thank you so much. So, yeah, going back to my thesis. So in, in 1999, I went to Tajikistan for about nine to 10 months. And I did what is called education anthropology. My key research question was, how do teachers in rural, mountainous, post-Soviet Tajikistan understand and enact their practice? So very simple question. I went right to the classrooms 
and to observe these teachers. So let me say, I worked in three major sites of Badakhshan province of Tajikistan. One is called Murghab, and Murghab is at the altitude of around 4,000 meters above the sea level. The other one is Shognan. Shognan is a central district in Badakhshan province, and it's very close to the capital or center city called Khorog. And then the other one is Wanj, which is north of Badakhshan province, but, uh, uh, but north of Badakhshan province, but, but, quite, quite, but also quite distinct from Shognan. And Shognan is quite different from Murghab. So these three sites were very different from each other in multiple ways. Language, ethnicity, geography, uh, material conditions, closeness to the center, and all other kind of things. So I spent in each place around three months, two and a half to three months. And in each place, I worked with largely two teachers, but also with the bigger number of the teachers and the schools. So there was these core teachers and then secondary teachers. And then, of course, I also consulted people at the education departments, in the communities, NGOs, international organizations, and ministry. So with the teachers, however, the most interesting thing is about teachers. I lived in their life, in their homes. In one place, I actually lived in a, in a what is called boarding school. I was given a room at the end of that where the kids of grade five or six lived in the rest of it. And I was talking to these children in English, speaking to them about different, uh, different uh, life in Canada and different, different things. And we, we would uh, sing cultural songs. And so, and at the same time, working with, it, with, with two teachers. One was mathematics teacher, one was history teacher. In Murghab, I spent, actually I lived in, 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 a, in also a little bit outside, but almost spent every day, huge amount of time with the teachers of Russian and teacher of a primary school. And then in one, I actually lived in my teacher's home. He was a biologist. I mean, he was like, my father was biologist. And I lived in his home with his elderly mother, with his little kids, and they actually took me as their brother. They used this word biorak, which in Wanji means little, younger brother. Now imagine that there was a three-year-old boy, his son, who was considering me as his biorak, as his younger brother. So I was living in this home, uh, cutting wood with him, uh, collecting uh, fodder, going to the mountains, collecting fruits, but constantly speaking about education and society. And I found that these were just amazing teachers. So I would observe them for a few hours, and then we would discuss why did they do what they did? How did they feel about it? What do they think about it? And so on. So there were, there were questions about their particular practices in the classroom. There were questions about education and society. And there were larger questions about how do they see the future of education and society in Tajikistan and globally and in the province or in the district. So as a result of this, I found two things, or a number of things, but two were critically. One, that the research itself turned to be a professional development. For example, I would tell them, how did you treat this particular 
girl today or boy, they would say they were not happy with the way they treated them. But then they would explain why they did so. And then the, I would ask them, so how would you treat uh, the, the kid differently? And they would say, they would think and they would produce ideas. And tomorrow they would do it differently. And when I asked them, so today you treated the kid who behaved even, even worse than the one that yesterday, differently. They said, yes, professor. Uh, no, yes, sir, Faroz, they used to call me. They said, uh, that's because uh, I could not sleep because of our discussion in your questions. I was thinking all night and I, 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 today I came and I did it differently. So what this told me is that in the case of in the case of deep uh, discussion and conversation and debate and sometimes arguments with the teachers through an anthropological study, you could actually see that teachers are producing knowledge and solution and ideas when they are given this freedom, when they are given this, allowing this opportunity to, to think and to listen. And, and therefore, I could see them changing their practices. The second interesting thing I found about, their, about their, their knowledge and practices was that these turned to be very prominent people, that they were not just educated, they were not just teachers in the classroom, but they were community leaders, they were uh, people very prominent in their, in their villages and in their districts. And when I spoke to them about their knowledge and about different larger questions of education, they turned to be almost like a philosophers. Each one of them had education vision, education ideas about what education should be about, what their, their district should be about, the province, Tajikistan, and so on. So they were thinking about multicultural, tolerant, socially just, pluralistic societies in the rural mountain Tajikistan in the conditions where they were not, they had not gotten their salaries for months. It was extremely cold. They were living in miserable situation. There were uncertainties because of civil, just civil war had just ended. There were lots of economic issues, yet these teachers stayed and taught heroically with their children, with the community to really help the society not to fall. And, but as I said, also having aspirations of such wonderful societies that were very little different from what we think in Canada. How society should be about, how children should treat each other, how we should treat each other as different people. It was just amazing to her. What a valuable offering that you could, you could go into these homes, you could be in those places and then bring that knowledge to the world, you know, essentially Indeed. who would be doing that work if, if you weren't in those spaces. Ryan, so that's, there is a very interesting moment here. When I submitted my PhD thesis after four years, I mean, less than four years, uh, when I submitted it to the external examiner, I came to my room at the Ontario Institute for Studies in Education and I started crying. And I cried almost for 20 minutes saying that I did, I did the great job that I promised them. I promised these teachers that I will tell what they told me and then I will let the world know about them. I had no clue what is going to happen to my thesis yet. But at that time, I sent it to this, to this um, external. And, and the second thing was that I did this 
service to my father and to my relatives, my sisters, my brother, uh, because they were also looking forward to me. And then after a few months, when I submitted, I defended it and I went and worked in London at the Institute of Ismaili Studies. I get, uh, my thesis was, uh, I, I submitted it for award and I got in, within one week, two news. One that it won, that it, it won, it actually won best dissertation awards by the Comparative Education Society and by American Education Research uh, Society uh, or Association, uh, which are both of which are uh, critically among leading uh, education societies in the world. So it really made a big news. And my supervisor thanked him for helping me, told me his name is Dennis Thiessen. He told me, Sir Faroz, there are many theses who won awards, but there are few theses who won two awards and at the same time, within one week. <laughs> that's, that's fantastic. And, you know, the, the career doesn't stop there. And I kind of want to maybe talk about, you know, how, how to bring that impact in, you know, there's there research associations and, and academics reading things, but what can really be important is sort of working with the government and, talking to the government and, and, and how responsive is the Tajikistan government to some of the things that you're talking about or, or some of your, um, you know, some of your work? Well, look, uh, um, Ryan, before I go into that, um, I want to say a little more about what then happened afterwards. Sure. So when I finished my PhD thesis, I went and worked at the Institute of Ismaili Studies, establishing a Central Asian Studies Unit. The, the purpose of which was to develop research and knowledge production capacity among the uh, among the scholars of Tajikistan, uh, the, in this case in Ismaili community, but also beyond about how to do uh, research and produce knowledge. And then I became assistant and associate professor at the very institution from, from which I graduated, which is OEZ, University of Toronto. And then from 2015 and 18, up to 18, I was the director, or now we call it dean, of the Institute for Educational Development at the Aga Khan University, which was, again, my another alma mater. And now I'm back at the uh, University of Toronto, and I am acting associate dean of this very prominent institution in the world, which is around fourth in the world in terms of its standing, uh, I curate 12, more than 12 education academic programs. Um, there are th 3,800 3, students that we serve, more than 200 professors and multiple uh, engagements and connections. And also, of course, connected with the larger university vision and mission and activities. So for someone who came from this rural mountainous place to reach the position of third or second person at an institution like this is a, a, a phenomenal achievement. Uh, although I am not happy with my achievement as much as I wish, particularly in terms of producing articles and books that I would like to. Nevertheless, I've done a good job, but I just wanted to say this. But now let's come back to, to, to your question. Working with the uh, I mean, given, uh, let me now start with, uh, so 
since since I graduated from the uh, from the uh, from my PhD studies, I have been involved and engaged with Central Asia as well as with South Asia, as you, as you noticed from what I said just now. Uh, in Central Asia, I did work uh, particularly through Russian um, institutions, but also in Tajikistan with the Ministry of Education, but also Academy of Sciences, particularly Institute of Philosophy and History, Institute of Manuscript, and so on. In the areas of education innovation, uh, education reform, teacher development, education research and knowledge production and research and policy making capacities. So in all these cases, I've worked largely through, through international organizations such as Open Society Institute, USAID, European Union, uh, and, and also, as I said, the Aga Khan Development Network. But in all cases, I worked with the uh, local governmental institutions, Ministry of Education, Departments of Education, and so on. And, and in my 20 years of work, more than 20 years, I have been always welcome. They have always enjoyed seeing one of their Tajiks to reach the heights and also being willing to help them sincerely, to help my country my country of birth uh, to, to help the teachers, uh, in, including my own sisters, are, for five of my sisters are teachers, and to help the teachers and the education improve. And just to tell you one example, for example, uh, in 2018, through European Union, I went and did what is called research and policy development capacity at, with the Ministry of Education. Among the higher education uh, institution, uh, professors and instructors. And I went to the, to the deputy minister of education and we spoke about my purpose. And I told her that uh, I am here to help you improve. I acknowledge that they do these things and they have capacities and skills, but I also said that I bring different perspectives that would help to improve your capacity to produce knowledge and make, make policies. And this will help you, first of all, to critically engage and constructively, critically and constructively with what comes from abroad, whether it is from the West or Russia or elsewhere. But more importantly, this approach will enable our Tajik scholars and policymakers to develop solutions from within and develop solutions from within that would be more sustainable that would be culturally more relevant, but that need to be also critical about what is going on in the society and how could we improve it to reach out to its own aspirations of a socially just, socially cohesive, cohesive just, peaceful, and prosperous society and country. The Deputy Minister of Education came to the workshop and said, Sir Feroz is our compatriot, uh, we're very pleased to see one of ours reached what he reached in, in Canada and is now here to help us. So I was very pleased. And therefore, the participants of those trainings, uh, we spoke in Tajik largely, without translator, but also in Russian and in English when needed. So these multiple, uh, multiple languages 
introducing multiple contexts, building on local and global was thrilling for all of them to see that how could we connect these things? And they all enjoyed and they wanted to know more. And I learned so much from them. And so this is generally how I work with, and it has been like this uh, since, since the day I started. Almost always positive, work with the, with the ministries and, and with the departments of education and with the teachers, with the beneficial uh, outcomes for them and for me. And every time I worked, they wanted me to go back. Indeed, in the last one, when I did the, the workshop in Dushanbe, the trainings, uh, there, were, there were researchers from Khojan, from Khatlon, from um, Badakhshan, and they all said, please come to these places and do similar workshops there. So this has been the uh, one example of successful works with the government. So in general, uh, once they see sincerity, once they see this, this constructivist approach, uh, once they see that uh, you are there to help and uh, you acknowledge that they have knowledge and they do, we all do care about education system and society. I, I'm kind of curious, you know, because you mentioned how important it was to, to speak in the local language and, and to be able to connect with, you know, be, being a, a local yourself. So uh, are, how, are, how are things maybe without that? Or, or do you see that maybe someone might be missing if they, if they can't have those sort of uh, local connections? Well, um, this is a very, very, very powerful question. Indeed, um, after my graduation, uh, I could not go to Tajikistan because my children were deep into schools and I had to stay in Canada, but I got engaged as much as I could. While Dushan, for example, one of your earlier podcast speakers, uh, went back to his country and used these capacities and his achievements have been fantastic because he speaks Kyrgyz, he speaks Russian, English, and he has made tremendous contribution to his society. And uh, this, I mean, there, there are challenges here. For example, you go to, I go to Tajikistan, I'm Canadian, but I'm also Tajik Canadian. I have lived and grown there, and some of the people I worked were either my class fellows or my friends, like two of the ministers of education, previous ones were people that with whom I studied, with, we knew each other personally. And, uh, and for them, it was just uh, one of friend came in. Now, what does it mean to be a local? Uh, local and yet it's called insider outsider. I'm both inside and outsider. And I think the insider outsider is particularly, uh, particularly important position because you, because uh, it gives you these multiple perspectives to work with and see where you can connect. For example, I would, uh, I would use local proverbs and local historical examples to tell them that particular idea does exist in some way in local culture. And then for, let's say, for example, reflective practice. In other words, reflecting on your daily practices to live, to improve your life and your education and your teaching. As simple as this. So I would tell them that, for example, Rudaki, who is a Tajik Persian scholar and poet, 
of 9th century said the following har ki na amukht az guzashti ruzgar hej na amuzat zehej amuzgar those who cannot learn from their daily life experiences will never learn from the greatest teacher which essentially tells that you need to live you need to learn from your daily experience the question however is how do we learn from our experiences that's what i would tell them i said we have it but we don't pay attention now how do i live from it, my daily experiences and i say now when reflective practitioners or the the idea of reflective practice or teach as a researcher or action research in the west actually did address this and they came with procedures and structures and methodologies about how do you learn from your daily experience and this for example includes questioning your actions questioning your beliefs your biases your prejudices your relationships your emotions your religious beliefs in terms of how are they helping you to move forward or not are they helping a child or hurting the child how can you improve better how can you make your life easier how can you achieve your targets so these were the kind of questions that i would tell them and this is possible for someone who is an insider and outsider who knows the language who knows the culture who is immersed and who is engaged and yet who also had the privilege of studying abroad and getting exposure to these kind of deep self transformative ideas yeah that's that's wonderful i love that quote that you gave we're going to have to share that on our social media for sure that's fantastic oh uh one thing that you that you mentioned and you know you, you talk about you know going local or regional but if if i look through your students and who you've advised uh, you you have students who are going to do things around the world and are from uh, around the world and that's the advantage of being at oise it's sort of this hub that that everything is is coming to connect to so can you maybe talk about how how you're helping to to sort of you know maybe spread some of these ideas globally well thank you ryan that is a very important question because while on the one hand i feel a little bit un unhappy about that i did not go to tajikistan like my friend dushan went back home at the same time i have been able to contribute in very big way not just to tajikistan but also to many countries such as education in pakistan education and culture education in russia in kyrgyzstan but also my through my students and my projects to education in canada in latin america even in china and elsewhere even in arab countries i have i have phd students and master students from all these places who have who have spread and who are going and spreading the message today across the world for example in Tajikistan and in Kashmir Pakistan where I spent quite a lot of time in the last 5 years i did particularly focus on knowledge and ed- education capacity development research capacity development so i even i mean i helped many uh, scholars new scholars complete their studies uh, i developed new scholars for example one key 
program that we developed when I was still at the Institute of Ismaili Studies was a program with St. Petersburg University on what is called ethnolinguistic studies of candidate degree, where we took uh, students from Tajikistan of small languages and helped them to get candidate degrees and become prominent scholars and contributing people to their societies. In 2006, in 2005, I went and did a, a very strong one month rich education research uh, course for about 30 uh, local scholars, not just from Tajikistan, but also from Russia, helping them to get engaged into how can I do better research and produce knowledge. And I've helped many, many graduates, as I said, many young scholars there, but also in Pakistan, the same thing and elsewhere. So the, the reach has been almost like global in many ways. And I'm very proud to say this and very happy that I have achieved and helped people in this small way. Yeah, that's fantastic. So I appreciate that. We're, we're kind of coming to the end. So maybe just a last piece of advice or, or last comment on, on maybe how, not, not just in Tajikistan, but maybe globally, we can potentially raise rural voices or voices that maybe aren't often heard um, in these spaces. Well, uh, thank you so much. So there are, and there are a few things that I would like to say to end my, uh, this podcast. Uh, one of them is that uh, I am concerned about questions of uh, education, uh, particularly justice and, uh, and questions of justice and opportunity and access and quality in education in Tajikistan, in rural and mountainous Tajikistan, but also in the region of Central Asia and globally. Uh, since the since 1998, when I did my PhD thesis. And even before that, there was a research by Annette Kuda. And then since that time, I have done a number of studies and I've read any report that has been produced by local scholars, by international scholars, and by international organizations on education conditions and uh, tra trajectory in Tajikistan. And what comes up is that uh, while on the one hand, the government is investing a great number of uh, material and financial uh, investment in the, in the education. At the same time, the trends are, uh, are, are to some extent um, not necessarily, uh, not necessarily uh, optimistic one. Uh, for example, we see increasing inequalities uh, and part of it is due to privatization. Of course, there is a need for in more investment. Uh, but uh, what is important is also that there is a, uh, an increase in education inequalities, particularly the rural and the remote children are gradually being left. The students in the government schools in this area, but even in rural in urban areas are being disadvantaged while those go, who go to private, uh, whether these are local private or international private, or even some, some specific uh, government uh, schools are getting opportunities and, and these are very few. So this is, we need to really pay attention to these education equities questions. And also the other question that I am concerned about is 
the questions of social cohesion, peace, uh, education for justice, and how could uh, how could uh, education help the society and the graduates to understand how to navigate their multiple identities for the benefit of their countries and uh, feel proud of being uh, being citizens of their country and also um, also education to help them uh, with their improving their life and their opportunities. We have more than 1 million Tajiks living in Russia. We have, uh, uh, there is uh, overall uh, having difficult time as, as laborers, but we also have uh, an acknowledgement, a public, the government and, and other institutions acknowledging major issues in education its relevance to 21st century skills and competencies, questions of corruption, teachers' departure, their miserable salaries, uh, teachers' life conditions, their treatment, uh, the undermining of their professional status. Then we also have questions about, uh, about uh, uh, school buildings, for example, about uh, IT, uh, information technology, and 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 many many questions are there around how education in Tajikistan and the region could be improved. These are serious questions. They are acknowledged, but uh, they need to be addressed more seriously. Uh, more on rural children. The message is uh, that, and and this message is to everybody that. Uh, um, that we need to provide opportunities, structural opportunities for the children from rural and mountainous areas. Uh, Tajikistan is a rural and mountainous, so are other countries in Central Asia. Majority of their people still live in rural areas. And if you give them opportunity, and if you give them support, they will excel the way I excel, because they know that this is a rare opportunity for them to seize upon. But without opportunity, just to say that they should just work hard, like what some of the proponents of meritocracy say, work hard and you will achieve, is not necessarily true because systemic and structural condition could break you and you would not achieve what you want. So providing opportunities, both financial, moral, and structural conditions for students, particularly in rural, marginalized, mountainous government schools is what we need to do for the betterment of the societies, for more peaceful and stable societies in Central Asia. And I know that this understanding is acknowledged by the government, acknowledged by international organizations, and efforts is being done in this regards, but we need to make sure that these efforts are implemented and their impact is measured and uh, those uh, uh, challenges or conditions that, that inhibit this reach should be removed. So that's where the key challenge stands, and that's where we should work, and that's where I would like to see if I could have opportunities to even go to Tajikistan or Central Asia after my retirement soon, and then work for the cause and for the betterment of this society. Wonderful. That that's a fantastic way to end. Uh, we we do appreciate it. I, I 
thank you for being on the podcast and sharing, you know, your experience. And it was, it was really great to listen to. So thank Ryan, you. Ryan, thank you so much. I'm very pleased. And I look, I wish you all the best and I look forward to your new podcast. And this concludes our Kicks EAP podcast, which is released every first Wednesday of the month. Of course, the opinions expressed on the Kicks EAP podcast are solely those of the host and the guest. The Kicks EAP podcast is made possible by Kicks, which stands for Knowledge and Innovation Exchange. Kicks is an initiative of the Global Partnership for Education. Globally, Kicks is administered by the International Development Research Center in Canada. NORAG in Geneva hosts one of the four regional hubs of Kicks. Find us on the NORAG or GPE Kicks websites. You can subscribe to the Kicks EAP podcast, newsletter, and webinar series and also learn about Kicks global or regional projects. Additionally, you can subscribe directly on Spotify or SoundCloud to receive notifications of the new monthly podcast episodes. Thanks for listening.